Welcome to the Imperfect Leader Podcast. This is a show for imperfect leaders. I'm Scott, your host. This is episode one. I'm so excited to kick off this show for imperfect leaders. Here's why. I have about 25 podcasts in my iPhone's library and try to read about 50 to 60 books per year. Most podcasts, especially for leaders of churches, feature interviews with pastors and church leaders of several thousand people or interviews with popular authors or business owners overseeing companies worth millions of dollars. I cannot emphasize enough the importance of these podcasts. I have learned and continue to learn a great deal from Kerry Newhoff, Andy Stanley, Craig Rochelle, the Entree Leadership Podcast, Catalyst Podcast, Unseminary Podcast, and many others. I listen to almost every episode and glean a tremendous amount of knowledge and wisdom. Sometimes I can't wait for the newest podcast to be released. This podcast is not about adding to the plethora of podcasts similar to those. This podcast is unlike many others. It's distinctive and uniquely helpful. How so? I want to speak directly to the leaders who struggle, to the leader who doesn't know what to do next. I want to bring hope, advice, and wisdom to pastors of moderately sized churches who are trying to figure out how to balance reaching new people with meeting the yearly budget, to those pastors and staff members whose marriages are cracking apart under the strain of pursuing church growth, spiritual health, and financial freedom all at the same time. I want to talk to all leaders about managing their emotions when stress gets the best of them. I want to provide insight to business owners who are struggling to make the next hire or how to increase buzz in their communities about their company or business. To leaders of all sorts who are trying to figure out what it looks like to lead people in today's world with new questions, new systems, and new challenges, I want to become friends with imperfect leaders, leaders just like you. Because here's what I know. We leaders struggle every day. We live with unanswered questions and have a lot to learn. And although we try to keep everything together, we sometimes barely do. I know for me, at times I wish I could press stop and get off the merry-go-round of responsibilities and pressures. We want to disappear from crowds, much like Jesus did in the Gospels, except we don't want to come back for a while. We battle depression, discouragement. We doubt our faith. We contemplate quitting, throwing our hands up and saying, I don't know anymore. We struggle with pride and greed, gluttony, laziness, lust. We feel the weight of getting older and wonder if we'll be effective in 15 years. Sometimes we're good husbands, wives, fathers, mothers, and sometimes we're not. We question if we have what it takes. We have wounds from our childhood we've never addressed. Emotional scars we hope we can compensate with our looks, charisma, education, talents. Honestly, we're just hopeful no one notices our defects. This is what this show is about. It's for imperfect leaders. Because here's what I believe. Nothing succeeds like imperfection. What does that mean, Scott? It means when we're honest and transparent, willing to confront our demons, expose our wounds, ask our questions, reveal our struggles, only then do we learn. Only then do we read new books, open our minds and hearts, pray, confess. Only then do we find answers, wholeness, healing, and even deliverance. So nothing succeeds like imperfection. I can't wait to get started on this journey with you. So over the next few episodes, I plan to interview several pastors in my area to hear their stories, their accomplishments, their questions, their current struggles and thoughts about what it means to lead effectively, 
to hire, to fire, to oversee budgets, and to make unpopular decisions. Pastors just like you, community leaders just like you, average men and women trying to figure it all out. I want to discuss with them and with you what it takes to be successful, to counsel when you don't have all the answers, to make tough calls when it seems like everyone is against you. I want to talk to pastors and community leaders from different cultures, different races, discuss the racial and political divide we all face in our churches and communities. So much to get to over the next several months. I can't wait. And I'm especially excited to bring to you month after month one of my favorite people, Anna Coker, a great friend to me and to Forest Park Church where I serve as pastor, but also one of Lana's best friends. Anna is a life coach and therapist. She owns a successful counseling practice here in Elizabeth City and provides so much practical wisdom and knowledge, I think I could do the entire podcast with her as my only guest. All of that is coming up over the next several months. But today, on episode one, I want to introduce you to the number one person in my life, my best friend, confidant, counselor, fellow pastor, and the most amazing and effective leader I know the inspiring, intelligent, and incredibly talented leader, Lana. And I get to be her husband. For those of you who don't know, currently Lana serves at Forest Park as our leadership development pastor. She is the most skilled developer of leaders I know. Lana brings more than 20 years experience in leadership development, children's ministry, and global outreach to Forest Park. I have never known anyone who helps people realize their full potential through training and practical messages better than Lana. Not only that, but Lana develops and leads teams in both church and business environments, including universities, small groups, and even one-on-one. Lana also leads outreach teams in Ecuador each summer. Over the last 16 years, Lana has spoken to and impacted over 100,000 kids in Ecuador, and now Uganda, Africa, assisting Watoto Child Care Ministries. Lana and I have been married for 27 years and have three amazing kids, Evan, Ashlyn, and Cameron. Lana, it is an honor to welcome you to the very first episode of the Imperfect Leader Podcast. Welcome. I am so excited to be your first guest. And I am excited to have you here. What an honor. I've been waiting to kick off this podcast for several months, and I'm excited about the future and all the people that we're going to be able to help. And when I sat down and thought about who I wanted, no, nobody came to mind but you. Well, I'm excited. And I know that this podcast is going to be an assistance to people all over our community, but yeah. also people that log on to listen you know, across our United States and even globally. Yeah. So I think um, the ability to speak into the lives of leaders and acknowledge that we all have imperfections is going to be beneficial to everyone everyone who logs on. Yeah, that's so true. I'm excited. Well, as I mentioned, uh, when I was introducing you, you are the most effective leader I know. Um, I don't know that a lot of husbands can say that about their wives, but it is a unique truth about our relationship and what you've been able to bring to Forest Park. And I've just watched you grow over the years into this effective and incredible leader. And there are many reasons why that's true. Not only are you gifted to lead, but uh, you learned a lot from your dad. Yes. Another successful and effective leader. But yeah, there are far. reasons beyond just raw intelligence and family makeup. You are a passionate learner. In fact, I'm amazed at just how passionate you are about always learning, always growing. So tell our audience about your passion to learn. Tell us a little bit about that that desire you have to always learn. Yeah, grow. initially, um, I want to go back 
to kind of what you were saying about my dad. Sure. You know, as my dad being a very effective leader in my life, he in his own right is an incredible leader. But the thing that he did for me as a young woman growing up in his family is he empowered me to believe in myself mm-hmm. and also to believe in my instincts. Right. And so as a dad of a an adolescent girl, I would encourage all of you guys out there that are listening to find those things that make your daughters unique mm. and really hone in on that so that they feel that they can be all that they can be. So that's just a, a little caveat about him. But speaking to my passion for learning, I really believe that learning has become a passion. I don't know that I always loved education or that I loved school. I was good at school, Mm -hmm. but as I got older, it became a passion, just like you described. I think I am academic by nature. I'm kind of hardwired to learn. I don't know that everybody is, but I am. I love it, and I never look at learning or something I don't know as a threat. I don't look at it as a threat to my career. I don't look at it as a threat to my existence just because I don't know it. Many leaders limit their ability when someone asks them to do something. They say, I don't know how to do that. And so they immediately paralyze their ability to be effective. And so I think with the technology that we have today, there are so many avenues of learning. I mean, there's self-help classes at your right. local community college. I mean, all the way to YouTube videos and to apps on your iPhone. So there's never a reason for anyone to say, I don't know how. Right. And so I kind of embrace that and move forward. Well, just in watching you over the years, if there was something you didn't know how to do, you went out and researched, read, listened to teaching on it, uh, watched a video, whatever you had to do to figure out. If that's something you wanted to do, you did not let your lack of knowledge stop you. Right. And that's just been amazing to watch over the years. Yeah, I was not going to let the fact that I didn't know how to do something be an excuse for my inability to learn. Right. And nor did you allow the fact you're female to stop you. Unfortunately, um, the church environment I grew up in, they didn't suppress women, but... Uh, it didn't seem as if they encouraged women to be the best at leading. It seemed almost kind of be a man's world, a man's thing. But wow, just to watch you learn and lead and you stand in front of men now and are able to command their attention and, and provide leadership and guidance and wisdom to them. So your dad, again, just instilled such confidence in you as a female to just become all that you're gifted and talented and, and um, provided um, talent and skills inside to become, and you you did it. Yeah, he created an environment that allowed me to learn and allowed me to develop who I was, not just because he didn't look at me. I was just a girl, so right. I could do this set of things. I right. couldn't do this set of things. He looked at me as Lana yeah. and what God created Lana to be, and so therefore he fostered that inside of me. And I'm also very thankful because he was a passionate follower of Christ, right. and so therefore he also always was able to send me back to the place that there was an early philosophy that God will only use me to the degree I have prepared myself. And Mm. so for that being, I would always think that 
you know, I can pray, I can believe God, I can trust until my knees are bloodied, you know, in prayer and calloused. But if I've embarked on a journey and I have asked God to bless something I've not prepared myself for, then to me, that is arrogance. That is arrogance to think, oh God, bless all of these great things I want to accomplish. But then I never took the time to work on my end Mm -hmm. to be able to prepare myself. Now, obviously that didn't mean that things didn't come up, that I had to just jump in and trust. And, And at that moment I was at God's mercy for him to prepare me. But I'm speaking of things that I was tasked to do, that someone, a supervisor, a boss, even a volunteer that needed me to do something, Thing, they provided expectations, then I took it as it was my responsibility as a leader and to the people that I was leading to be the very best I could be with preparation. And yeah. so my passion to learn kind of has been translated that I take every single example, every single opportunity, opportunity for learning, all of my opportunities. For instance, you know, in your messages, you're my husband. I listen to you every Sunday, right. but it is an opportunity for me to learn. I never arrogantly think that there's not something I can come out of every single message to a TED talk that someone who's learned to do something, I can be inspired even to your average fifth grader who says, I've got an idea. I can learn from all of those people. And so therefore I wanted to take the best possible advantage of every moment. To yeah. Learn. That, that's something I've always been, uh, I've always admired about you is taking notes on Sundays. Uh, after all these years, hundreds of sermons you've heard, you're still taking notes. If we go to a conference, you're taking pages of notes. When you listen to a podcast, you pull out quotes, you pull out ideas, you're just constantly gleaning. And here you've been leading now for you know over 20 years and, and have a successful track record, but you're still uh, almost, uh, I've heard it said before, you know, come to work ignorant. Yes. You know, you still have that attitude. Teach me, show me, let me learn some more, let me glean some more. Um, books, uh, podcasts that come out, just on and on, you're always learning. And that's just been something that I have just always admired about you. And there are times when I've, you know, become um, maybe a little slow in, in learning. Um, I've watched you and it's inspired me again to keep pushing, keep reading, keep opening my mind wider and wider. That's well, we awesome. We always get tired. We all get tired. Sure. And so we all always need someone who kind of partners with us, which I think is what's so great about this podcast and your desire to speak into the lives of pastors who are tired and that they can learn and be encouraged that their ideas are good ideas and that they need to believe in themselves. And there's never been a time where we've had in our history where there's uh, more knowledge than today. Exactly. And, and, and there are pastors, no doubt, listening, some community leaders listening. Uh, they don't have a passion to read. I mean, some people just don't enjoy reading. They just, you know, they try to read. They just get that chapter or so into the book. It's just not something they enjoy. But podcasts are tremendously helpful because you can just put that on your phone, download it, listen to it as you're walking, listen to it as you're cleaning the house, uh, listen to it in your office while you're doing some busy work, and you can just download wisdom and download knowledge from some of the best leaders in the world. In the last um, three to five years that that has been my primary source of learning. I mean, I love to read. I love to listen to messages. I love to listen to sermons, watch videos. But in our technology, the world that we live in with how busy we all are, 
I definitely think that podcasts are the new way to pursue education. Right. Well, there's a lot of pastors and uh, leaders out there thinking, well, you know, maybe I don't do it as much as Lana does, but I do read, I do listen to some podcasts, but can't seem to get the traction I need to lead effectively. Um, There has to be more to it than just reading and listening to others. Because what another thing that I admire so much about your leadership is your ability to do the next right thing at the right time. You can sense when something needs to shift, to change, to stop, to start. And I would say about 90% of the time, you are right on. It's just you have this almost um, a sense about, okay, this needs to improve here. This needs to change there. So here's a question for you. How do you know when something needs to change? Can you even explain that? You just have this ability to discern in the moment, okay, this needs to change. How do you know that? I think that the answer to that would be multifaceted. I don't know that there's any one right answer. And every leader, the way that they perceive what happens around them is different. Mm -hmm. So they would probably all say the way that they come to the solution to any um, scenario where there needs to be change would be different. But just speaking for me, for my um, experience, the fact that you're interviewing me, I would say that my leadership journey really began when I was 22 years old. Mm -hmm. That my very first job out of college, I was supervising employees. I was hired as a supervisor right out of college. And so I lead today differently than I led as a 22 year old. And the truth is a lot of the lessons that I learned that get me to the point to know when to do the next right thing came as a result of failure. Mm. One thing that, again, going back to my dad, is that I learned that to look at him and every time that he failed, that he never stayed down long. And so I saw someone who never sulked in their failure, but used it as an opportunity for growth. So I tried to start adopting those things early in my career as a leader. So, you know, back so you, to your, you were thrown into responsibility right. at 22. Right. And it wasn't because you were such a great leader at that yes. time. Yes. You had some, some innate abilities. You right. had confidence. That's one yeah. of the things that when I first met you that I noticed was the confidence. But you couldn't possibly have had the no. knowledge to know how to lead effectively at 22. But you did have responsibility. And rather than, yeah, rather than walking away from it or quitting, you said, okay, there's some things I don't know how to do at 22, but I'm not going to quit. Right. And you begin to pursue knowledge. I was tasked to supervise, you know, people that were old enough to be my parents. Wow. And so when you're supervising people at that age, you have to come into it, even that young, you have to come into it with what can I learn and what do I have the ability to teach? Hmm. Because being tasked as their supervisor meant automatically my responsibility was to teach. I had to become a teacher. I had to become um, an educator. And so therefore, how did I uh, learn to be effective? I had to embrace learning and I had to embrace um, failure. And so going back to that question, how do I know when to do the next right thing? It is almost equivocal, equivocal to my ability to be a pursuit of learning, mm-hmm. a, pursuit, a pursuit of wanting to know more. So when you have filled your mind, your heart, your life with a certain set of skills, at that point, 
you have the authority to speak into that area of leadership. For instance, it goes back to what I was saying, that why would I ever ask God to uh, bless, uh, ask God to put a stamp of approval on something that I had not adequately prepared for? Well, no one is going to listen to a 22-year-old if they've not adequately prepared. Right. And so I learned to do the next right thing because I was tasked to do the next right thing. Mm. And I never used it as an excuse. So you, you ask a lot of questions. You pursued answers to the problems that were in front of you at that time. And you just filed it away. And you keep doing that year after year. By the time you're 30, by the time you're 40, you've got an incredible amount of wisdom stored, a library, if you will, that that's you can pull exactly, from today. exactly what I believe. So that's almost like the definition of... Um, Intuition. Yes. I've heard that said before. Well, that person is just intuitive, but you can learn. Most of the time, that intuitive um, nature was already there. I think we all have it. But what separates a great leader from a leader that knows when to do the next right thing is how they apply it. Mm For instance, I was able to attend a leadership conference um, for women in West Palm Beach earlier this year and uh, with Propel Women, um, an initiative by Christine Kane, in order to help every woman develop the skills that God has already in, you know, instilled inside of them to lead. But one of the leaders that was at that conference was John Maxwell, mm-hmm. you know, the greatest leader, if you yeah. ask me, of all right. time. And so one of the things that he was saying during that conference is that a lot of people, quote, experience is the best teacher. And you'll hear people say yeah, that I've over and over that. again. Have you heard that? Sure, a lot of times. Yeah, a lot of times people say, experience is the best teacher. I became better because I experienced that. And that's kind of what I was thinking, you know, regarding leadership. And as I was hearing Dr. Maxwell speak, and then all of a sudden he said, that is not true. It hmm. could not be further from the truth. And he even said, I'm here today to debunk that myth. And so it caught my attention so much. And he went on to say that if experience is the best teacher, then that would mean everyone of a certain age is a great leader because they're wise. They've experienced so much. But we all know that just because you have lived to a certain age doesn't mean you're a good leader. It doesn't mean that you're going to make great decisions. And so what Dr. Maxwell went on to say is that It's not that experience is the best teacher, but it is evaluated experience. Mm, That's good. So the difference between that is we all go through things. Right. But what helps us be able to know what to do the next right thing is how we evaluate what we've been through. That's good. How what we've learned from it, what we've been able to absorb, so that just as you were saying, this plethora of information, all of these files that I've been through since I was twenty-two. I tried to put it away so that when it was time for me to use it, I could pull it back out. Yeah. And, you know, like you said, most of the time, you know, it, it has a good track record. Am I right 100% of the time? Absolutely not. Nobody is. Right. But nine times out of ten, I'm going to have at least an instinct about what we do next because I'm applying all of that evaluated experience. Yeah. It's like a... Um interest it's built up over time a compounding yeah. interest compound interest that, that's that, a great way that to look comment at it. about uh, john maxwell is so so interesting it reminds me of what i've heard um in the past about some people have 20 years experience other people have 20 
one-year experiences. They just keep repeating the same mistakes and they keep applying the same answers to the same questions. And just because they're 20 years older doesn't necessarily mean they're 20 years wiser. So that, that's great. That's a tremendous insight. Actually, um, in Dr. Maxwell's most recent book uh, entitled No Limits, where he's yeah. talking about capacity, right. um, you bring to the table what you have the capacity to bring to the table. But one of the things that he says about emotional capacity is that people who are emotionally strong do not make the same mistake mm-hmm. over and over again. That's good. That when you are emotionally strong, you have the courage to learn from the mistake and not make it again. And so, therefore, there is a lot of science and a lot of truth and a lot of psychology to evaluating every single experience, good or bad. Right. If you were sitting talking with a a young leader, uh, actually, they don't even have to be young. They could be an older leader, but they're in a, a tough place right now, whether it's at their church Um, whether it's in a business they're trying to get off the ground and they're listening and they're hearing all these, you know, this encouragement to improve and to become better. Where do they begin? If you could have them sitting in front of you and they would say, okay, where do I start? Do I start with reading? Do I start with podcasts? Do I start with myself, which I think is what we would advise? Where would you help them get started? What's the first step or two they should take to improve? Well, I think practically the first thing that they would need to decide is where they want to go, what they want to achieve, some very practical goals, and then they have to make a decision to begin. They have to determine what does it look like from me to go from a position, and almost think about a person sitting versus standing. A person who is sitting is not engaged in the conversation of people walking by them. They're watching traffic. They're watching people pass by. They're watching situations and scenarios just move by them. But the minute you go from sitting to standing, you're going to be much faster to get involved in what's happening. So they have to start by beginning. They have to get started. And the truth is, I think it looks different for everyone. I think in every uh, aspect of business, the different backgrounds, depending on uh, one person's beginning, can look different in the workplace than maybe another person's beginning in learning a new language Mm. or another person's beginning in learning how to play an instrument or another person's beginning in how to start a small business. They all look different. But again, referring back to Dr. Maxwell is that in the 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership, which has by far been one of his most um, widely renowned books, there is a law that he refers to in that book called the Law of the Lid. And so I think in order to get started, you need to understand what is your lid. And kind of going through that, the way he explains it is that when we evaluate ourselves by different qualities of what it would be to have a strong leader or someone that displays strong leadership skills or someone who has a successful business or a successful pastorate or is pastoring thousands of people. Um, Because we would look on the outside and say, hey, that person's doing it. They're doing well. And so in order to really evaluate where we are, why some people exceed and I'm not exceeding, I have to be able to understand what I do well 
but also I have to be just as aware of what I don't do well. Hmm. Self-awareness. So, so in other words, there's no one answer to all those people. No, there's You'd not. have to define or determine where they are because um, if, they, if you want to go somewhere, uh, that will depend on where you start. So there are some business leaders their starting or their first step will look different than another business Absolutely. leader. A pastor, we have to determine where he or she is in their church. Their and what are their natural? Yes, right. what are their natural giftedness? Right. Where are the areas that they really do well? So that that speaks to self evaluation, knowing the truth about yourself, your strengths, your weaknesses, etc. Self awareness is crucial, and so when I sit with people and they're saying, "How do I get?" better what do I do first I always go back to that book I always go back to that concept the law of the lid and you evaluate yourself where you are and when I ask most people and I say okay tell me what you think you should focus on first nine times out of ten they say they should focus where they struggle Hmm. they should focus where they excel the least I think that's so just human nature. Their improve their weaknesses. Right. But Dr. Maxwell says no, that is not where you focus. Where you focus is where you have the greatest strength. Right. And and the way to think about that is don't focus so much on your weaknesses. Focus on your strengths and make them better. Right. For example, you're going to have to travel a lot farther and do a lot more work on a scale from one to 10 to take a two to get to a six, then you are going to take a seven and get to an eight. Mm -hmm. When you think about it just on a bar graph, it is a lot greater distance from two to six than it is from seven to eight. And Dr. Maxwell says, you focus on that seven and you make that seven greater. And then that way you're gonna be able to own that area and you allow somebody else who is gifted in the two to do the two work. And so I think if you were to ask me, that's where I would say to begin and just to know what you do well, but learn to be comfortable in what you don't do well. And I think that's probably one of the struggles that many uh, leaders have, and that's admitting their strengths and weaknesses. They can admit their strengths. You know, I'm good here, I'm good here, but they have a difficult time admitting their weaknesses. And when they admit their weaknesses. It sounds like confessing sin, but it's not a bad thing. It's nothing. It right. has nothing to do with sin. Right. It's what you are uniquely gifted to do. Right. And learning that there are things that you're really great at and learning that there are things that you're really not great right. at. And just admit it and just build on your strengths. And there's other people where you're a two, they're a seven or an eight in that exact same area where you're a two. And they can compensate for you and you can compensate for them and work together as a team. And I think where a lot of leaders really blow it and a lot of pastors become, they almost render themselves ineffective with this one concept is that they're not aware of the fact that they need the two. Hmm. For example, those scales one to 10, you need to find people who are great at one to 10. 
Mm-hmm. You're not going to be great one to 10, right. but you've got to learn to surround yourself with people who are great in each of those skill levels. Right. Because if you don't, then you're going to develop a church that is exclusive because the only people who are going to be able to come are the ones that excel where you excel. Right. And that is not what God's created us to be. Right. He wants us to be able to find a place at the table for everybody. That's good. So even Dr. Maxwell would say that not all people are tens in all 21 of those laws that he talks about. Nobody has every one of those qualities in perfection. Absolutely right. not. Yeah. There was only one who was perfect. Right, exactly. And and it's healthy to admit that and say, okay, I need to find a team member who can 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 uh, compensate for this area of my life where I'm just not that great. And, and it's not okay only to not healthy, be great. Not only healthy, you're not going to be effective right. until you're able to own the fact that there are things you don't know right. and that you're able to subject yourself to people who have those experiences and learn to keep your mouth closed and listen to them. When I was 22, that was hard to do, but it was a skill I had to develop, especially because of the fact that I did grow up in an environment where I was empowered to be, um, I was so honored to grow up in my dad's home because he strategically put me in situations that caused me to learn. And so not everybody gets that. But it also made me very dangerous, I would say, in some areas, because there was nothing that I didn't think I could do. And it wasn't that I was confident. It, it gave me the ability that I could learn it. Right. And so I think that's probably what you have seen more about me in 27 sure. years of marriage more than anything else. And that has made me an effective staff member at our church and in my other places of working is that. And I am not going to make excuse for something I don't know how to do. I'm going to own it, but I'm going to learn it if you need me to learn it. And I'm going to keep my mouth shut until I learn it. Yeah, so good. Well, we could talk about leadership and leadership development, I think, all day long. And there's so much information there. But I know another passion you have, and it's something that um, I have seen over these 27 years grow and become um, even stronger and that is uh, your, your, your passion for global outreach. Um, it's one of the most attractive traits about you. You love people, all people. It doesn't matter their color, their language, their culture. You love people. And we'll have you back at a later time to talk about the 16 years that you have spent in Guayaquil, Ecuador, and reaching all the kids there in the schools and churches and streets. And I know that we both have stories of life change not only of the people there in Ecuador, but also how they've impacted us and what we've learned over time. But just in a few weeks, you have a trip coming up to Uganda, Africa. And this is something God has just done an incredible uh, open doors, I should say, for you to step through. And you've said yes. And now you're, you went last year, just you and a good friend of yours, Tammy. But this year you're taking people from Forest Park and you've got a team of 10 going. So tell us a little bit about this incredible trip that you're getting ready to go on to Uganda and working with Toto, uh, the um, uh, child care ministries there in Uganda. Talk to us. Yes, I definitely um, would say that my life has been characterized by involvement with people. And through the 16 years that we've led our missions trip to Ecuador, um, just referring to some of the things that you've already addressed, 
the people in Ecuador speak Spanish, and so I learned how to speak Spanish. I didn't want to be limited um, by my inability to communicate, so therefore I wanted to learn to speak Spanish. And so I always thought that Ecuador would be what we what we did. I didn't have any desire to go to Africa. I, again, back to my very pragmatic way of thinking is that I knew where we excelled. I knew where there had been open doors. And so I celebrated anybody that would go to Africa, to China, to other countries. And I was like, go be free, enjoy it. But never did I really want to do it. And God opened the door for me to attend a conference in New York a couple of years ago. And one of the videos that they showed, it was just a 20 second clip, was from Watoto Child Care Ministries. And one of the things that they were highlighting was their ability to get involved in the lives of children and make a difference through advocating for them. And that immediately caught my attention. And then the fact that the name of the, the business, the corporation was Child Care Ministries, because that's what I was spending my time doing as an employee for the state of North Carolina with licensing and um, monitoring and mentoring child care facilities. So I thought I would just give it a whirl and just kind of explore. And eventually my email got to the desk of the director for this for the United States and she was really intrigued Tammy Hensbrough at what she thought I could bring to the table and so she took me last year and she said I just really believe that you need to see it and not just to make a trip um, but that you see what we're about and so that you can see what we want to do in the lives of children in Uganda And so last October, I had the opportunity to do that. And from the moment my foot stepped onto that country, I would say that I was forever changed. And you hear people say that. It sounds pie in the sky. It sounds as if it was an emotional experience. But what it did was, as we've spoken, everything about your interview was that I chose to step out of something that was comfortable to embrace a culture that I knew nothing about. And from the very moment I experienced it, my life was radically changed because the African people are so incredibly responsive to anything that we would do for them and so appreciative that it just gave, my mind just soared the whole time I was there at what we can do. And so then as a result of that two weeks in Uganda, All throughout this last year, I've been thinking and praying and dreaming about how to incorporate that into our Forest Park life because I believe everything that I experience, I want everybody else to experience. And so I'm so honored that these ladies have jumped on board to be able to go with me this year. And we will be leaving in a couple of weeks, but it's amazing that Watoto has opened areas of ministry to me and to our church that they've never allowed anybody else. And that's not because I was special, but was because I had a unique set of skills that they could use. Right. 
because I learned, I trained myself, and I learned from other people. And so now this team from Forest Park Church will get to experience ministry that nobody has ever experienced from the outside world because I learned a unique set of skills such as sign language, infant massage, learning how to communicate with children on their level, speaking into some of the child development practices and leadership that they do. And so we're very excited to be able to do it. Yeah, that's a great example of just how, you know, I know that in the past, uh, I've seen you take classes, you know, to learn new skills such as infant massage, such as sign language, uh, Spanish to strengthen your ability to communicate. And a lot of people, you know, they're busy doing other things and they go, I wonder why she's taking that class or why is she reading a book about this or whatever, thinking that they would never use those skills. One of the benefits of growing older and moving into your 40s and closer to our 50s is watching so many of those skill sets that we've developed over time and books we've read and classes we've taken all come to fruition, if you will, all come together. And I remember this past year in Ecuador, you got a chance to go to a special needs school there. And when you went in to lead this team, and we have teams that go into schools and churches and on streets there, uh, there was a group of... uh, kids who were deaf and you were able to not only uh, speak to many of the kids in Spanish but you were also able to turn and speak to these kids in sign language so we had three languages going on in the school and uh, our, our you were talking to our team in English you were communicating to the kids in Spanish and then talking to the other kids who were deaf in sign and it was just beautiful to watch all that come to pass so again that speaks back to what you said earlier about building skills over your life and it gives you what you need um, when a challenging situation arises. You can pull from that library, you can pull from that the skill set you've developed over time. So it's beautiful. Yeah, a lot well, of people would say um, over the years of watching me lead, they're like, Lana, you can do anything. Yeah. You know, you've just learned it. You're just so gifted. You can do anything. And I always stop them and say, I didn't just wake up knowing how to do this. I worked really hard so that I could be the best possible tool I could be right. either in God's hands if he wanted to use me in ministry, but also the hands of my bosses. I wanted to be exactly who that supervisor needed me to be. My supervisors over the years, I think about all that I've learned from them, that my most recent um, supervisor over the last 13 years with the Division of Child Development, Lois Harrington, who there is nothing that I would not try to still to this day that I, and I've obviously I've been working for the church for a year, but if she called me and needed me to be somewhere tomorrow and I wasn't going to get paid a penny for it, I would learn what she needed me to learn and I would be there without question. Right. And it's not that she was a leader that just pressed herself over me. It was the fact that I respected her position. I respected who she was in my life, and I wanted to be a tool for her. It was always about making her look better. Right. I don't know how to impart that into people other than the fact it is a submission 
to those laws of leadership and that you're only going to be esteemed when you learn to esteem whoever's above you. And so I know she's listening. I know she's going to be listening to this podcast. There's no doubt. And so shout out to you, Lois. Yeah, that's awesome. (laughs) Well, I have a few other questions for you, a little bit more personal in nature. All right, sure. Of course. Um, And help uh, people get to know you a little bit uh, better even than what we've talked about. Uh, you're gifted, as we've talked about, in many areas, but nobody is gifted in every area. So Absolutely. let me ask you this. What are you not very good at doing? What are some areas in your life you go, hey, I'm just not very good at that? Yeah, and like I said, I've, I have spent a lot of time trying to figure out the areas that I'm not good and that are twos and threes on my right. skill set, and I really never touch them. I try not to unless I have to. Um, there are... I think people who are so great at walking into a room and being able to put everybody at ease. Hmm. They're able to um, make small talk. They're able, and and like I said, it is a set, a skill set that is needed in leadership. But I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be the person that walks in and makes everybody feel at ease. But in most every meeting that I lead, I'm going to have that person, and I am already going to have tasked that person with doing that job. Right. But I'm not going to do it. Right. And that's just not a, a, a gift you have, really. Yeah. yeah. I'm not going to do it. I don't get jokes. I'm not going right. to tell jokes. Right. I am not going to facilitate a joke and because it's going to be ridiculous. It's not an area that I'm ever going to be able to do well. But I know it's important, and I know it's needed, but that's not an area that I'm right. going to. And I'm sure you have several of those yeah. areas in your life, and you just have built teams to compensate for yeah. those. Because for those they're areas. needed. Right. You know, we joke all the time, you know, and, and have made just, you know, a lot of attention to the fact that you love to cook. Right. Like, if you come to our house and there's a dinner prepared, and we've actually asked other people that don't have the last name Neil to eat it, right. it's absolutely going to be the fact that you cooked it. Yes, that's yes. true. Isn't that true? <laughs> that's very true. And so it's not a skill set that I have. So why would I waste my time trying right. to learn it? Right. And, luckily, and that's something I enjoy. Yeah, and you love it. Yeah. And so therefore, it's given us the ability to both thrive right. in those areas. Um, and we learned that about each other early in our marriage, right. you know, about things that you really loved and things that I did not and love. And that helps with making, helps. Uh, creating a successful marriage. Absolutely. Is being okay with, yes. hey, I cook. I enjoy cooking. That's something that I have built, you know, a, a skill and set. And I want to ask you a question, you know, sure. as a leader, you know, and as a husband, you know, of a wife who is a strong leader. Right. Um, there's no way that that was always easy, you know, to maybe watch me excel professionally when you felt at the church it was a day-to-day struggle. Yeah. So how did you manage that? Uh, at the beginning, it was a challenge. You know, you mentioned a few minutes ago about being 22 and giving responsibilities, and you didn't have all the knowledge and, and wisdom you needed, but you took the responsibility and you began to learn. Uh, same same with me. You know, I began to pastor at 23 uh, years of age. I did not know what I was doing in so many areas. Uh, you had natural gifts in certain areas that I did not have, and I had to just accept that I was ignorant about a lot of things. I had spent years reading theology, uh, understanding to the best of my ability at that time, you know, the gospel of Jesus, preaching, but I did not know anything about leading people. I did not understand organization. I did not know systems. 
Uh, I didn't put a value on those things. And unfortunately, many seminaries and universities training pastors and leaders for churches, uh, at that time, they did not emphasize a lot of organizational skills. They did not organ, uh, emphasize systems and, and creating teams. And these are things that have come up over the last you know, 10 or 15 years, uh, but not at that time. So I was ignorant. So yes, it was a struggle for me for a while. Uh, in fact, I took it very personal. And I thought, what, you know, what's wrong with me? Mm-hmm. Why don't I know how to do these things? I ought to know how to do these things. And if we could, you know, roll back time and go back to this 23-year-old uh, pastoring a church, I was not self-aware. Right. Meaning um, I thought that I was as good in every area as you or anybody else and that I would excel in every area. So I was prideful and wouldn't admit my weaknesses. I just figured I just needed to read one more book on this, and then I would have as much knowledge as anybody else would. Do you remember how many times I said that you would not listen to me because I didn't have enough letters behind my name? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Because I assumed that you just took a class, and then you would have all the knowledge. So if a person took a lot of classes, he or she would have you know a tremendous amount of knowledge. But I have learned that there are many poor leaders with doctorate degrees. Yes. Many poor leaders who have been uh, pastoring churches for 25, 30 years, and they're still poor leaders. Mm-hmm. And they have, you know, letters behind their name. They have titles in front of their name, but they do not know how to lead. Because they refuse to go back to the law exactly. of the lid. Yes. And they, they refuse admit, to see. Yes. And I also didn't, didn't see, and this sell. is something we'll get into in, in podcasts in the future, is uh, was not self-aware in that I did not understand family dynamics. And I did not know that the environment in which I was raised as a child and as a young uh, teenager and then even into uh, young adulthood, uh, I did not have the, the, the example that your father provided for you and the modeling that was in front of you and the confidence. You know, I just assumed confidence was a choice you made. Right. I didn't realize it came from the very depths of who you are. Absolutely. And I didn't, I didn't deal with the scars and the wounds and all these different things. So this has been a knowledge that has dawned on me, if you will. It's it's been a, maybe a better way of saying it has evolved over the last twenty five years of my weaknesses, my my strengths, what I can do, what I can't do, and being okay with who I am, and taking the sixes and sevens in my life and making them eights, nines, tens, and admitting that I have twos and threes, and I'm going to let somebody else take those areas. So yeah, you have to become very uh, aware of who you are, what you can do, what you can't do. And things like cooking, you know, at the house, I actually enjoy it. It wasn't something I had to do because my wife didn't do it. It was something that I actually realized that I enjoyed it. And if I just built on it and worked on it and had and then, fun at it. And we made it as a something that was fun in our family. Sure. It became a joke. Right. You know, the kids loved to take pictures of things and food that I had annihilated. Yeah. You know, and then they would put it all over social media. Hey, right. look what my mom did. Right. And I was okay with that because it gave them the opportunity to celebrate you. Right. And you had to be very secure in that. Sure. Well, a couple more questions and then we'll wrap up. Uh, talking about eating. Um, if you could sit down and have a meal with, with anybody, past or present, and just have an intimate conversation with that person, who would it be and why? 
I think in discussing all of this and probably the star of this podcast in my life has been my dad. Mm. And so my dad is still living. He's still my hero. He is still my biggest cheerleader. He even said, I was at my mom and dad's house this last weekend and my mom equally, but we're talking, you know, specifically about him. And I had actually walked, um, back to the other part of the house, but I heard him say he has four kids and he said, I guess Lana's the only one of my kids that picked up the gene to be on time, you know, and he was like on time all the time, you know, that type of thing. So, um, absolutely the hero in my life. And if I ever got a chance, if anybody ever asked me who I was going to go spend time with, it's going to be him yeah. and my mom. And that's true. And, and that's why. Because yeah. of the fact that I absolutely sleep better when I'm in my mom and dad's house yeah. than any home I've ever slept in that I've ever owned. Yeah. I rest better. I, um, when I'm in their presence, I feel absolutely 100% accepted. Yeah. And so that's where I would spend my time and that's why. Great. One more question. Um, we've talked a lot about what you've learned over time. Uh, how you started out leading at 22. So knowing what you know now, and you, if you could roll back time and go back to that 22-year-old, you know, who just was beginning to lead and beginning to get responsibilities placed on her shoulders, what would you say to that 22-year-old now that you know so many other things and have grown so much? That is such a great question and one that I hope that if you're younger than 25, you will apply this um, to your life, is that no matter how smart you are, because you are smart, you know, 22 year olds are brilliant. They have um, grown up with the internet in their back pocket. There's anything that they can find. I never take for granted when a 22-year-old speaks to me because most of the time, there's not going to be maturity, but there's going to be an element of knowledge in most everything that they say. And I was like that as well. You know, I had a high IQ, straight-A student all the way through school, you know, full scholarship to college. So there are real areas that I know I thrive. But what I would say mostly to that 22-year-old person is that there are some things you do not get to say until you have the experience and the education that gives you the right to say those things. Mm -hmm. Up until that point, it's only an experience and it's only an opinion of your experience. But that learn to be patient with yourself Learn to honor and respect those people that have lived more life than you and that you will be esteemed. And what I mean esteemed, you'll be promoted time and time again. Because when I was 22, I couldn't see it. I felt like my boss was suppressing me. Right. You know, one time she looked at me and said, I mean, I thought that I was creating environments where everybody was thriving because I walked in those people that I was supervising. I walked in positive. I was kind, but I didn't accept them where they were because I wanted them to be better. I wanted them to be better for them, but they couldn't feel that because I didn't have the integrity to say that to them. So therefore, what did it cause? Resentment. I did not have the right to say some of the things I said to them. And so she told me, if you're going to, if you're going to be better. And what's so amazing, she, she had no college education. She was a veteran supervisor. She could see something inside of me, 
But she said to that 22-year-old self, so I would go back and say this, is that give yourself time, but learn when to say what you want to say and give yourself some time. And then you're going to have the leadership integrity, the leadership equity to have people listen to you. That's good advice. That's great. Good. Well, Len, I can't thank you enough for taking time to help me kick off this new podcast. I wouldn't want anyone other than you to be my first guest. I'm greatly honored to share life and leadership with you. Absolutely. I love you. I love, I you, love too. you. If you want to communicate with Lana, ask questions about leadership development, global outreach, Ecuador, Uganda, anything, coaching your staff, whatever it is. Uh, you can reach her at Lana at fplive.org. Lana at F as in Forest Park, fplive.org. And we'll get back with you as quickly as we can. I sure will. Well, thank you for listening to episode one of the Imperfect Leader podcast. There are hundreds of podcasts you could be listening to, and you chose to listen to this one. How great is that? If you enjoyed it, you found it helpful, please share it with a friend or recommend others to check it out. I want you to to know we care about what you think. We want to know how you feel about the podcast and ways we can improve. Hey, remember, nothing succeeds like imperfection. And I can't wait to do this again with you. 